Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Bat Around. I'm your host, Paul Valley. He's my co-host, Ryan Blake. We are coming to you live today on a Ravens Saturday. The Ravens taking on the Houston Texans in the divisional round of the playoffs. Lamar Jackson, 1-3 all-time in his playoff career. He has never won a divisional round game. Big day here in Baltimore, and we're going to get you primed and ready to go as we talk some Orioles baseball <laughs> for the Ravens game today at 4.30. Ryan, how are you, man? Not too bad, man. Going uh, sledding with some cousins after this game and heading over to my aunt's house for uh Ravens watch party. So uh, vibes are good, man. I'm excited. Today's going to be fun. That's 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 awesome, man. I haven't gone sledding in, jeez, I don't know how long it's been since I, I I don't I don't think I've done it at any point in my adult life. Like I cannot remember really? the last time I went sledding. But my dog Brucey, he's sitting here. Something's stuck under the desk. But he uh, this is his first snow this past week, the first snow he's ever seen, and he was uh happier than a clam and whatever clams do. I guess he's just ha happier <laughs> than a clam. <laughs> Happy as a um, clam, yeah, just hanging out in the shell. Yeah, he. Um, this, this I guess first... his shell looks like a smile. I don't know. But maybe I don't know where that phrase comes from, honestly. But maybe. hey, th this is Maryland's first real snow in uh, two, two years, years, I think. Yeah, yeah, we got like well, an inch last winter. Yeah, Bruce um, Dog never got to uh, he never got to take part in any snow activities last year. Um, but this year he was out there playing with the 10 year old neighbor, um, just having the time of his life. A lot of, he was off leash and he was such a good boy off leash. Like he's I've never done that with him outside before for that long, and he did a great job. Bruce. It's it's kind of scary. There's part of me that wants to let a cat or two out in the backyard and prance around in the snow a little bit, but I'm terrified that they're going to run away. And they've got collars with our phone numbers on them, but they're breakaway collars. So if they get caught on something, it'll just you know break away. Right off. Um, but yeah, man, it, that's that's what it's all about: getting out, playing in the snow. My my godfather Tim, who passed away a few years ago, he would always uh, wrangle up the cousins every time it snowed and take us over to the high school and. Um, we'd, we'd have a great time. So I'm, I'm carrying on his legacy and, and getting my godson and my sisters and a couple other cousins and, uh, heading out to the hill. And my thing is I like to stand on, you know, the sleds that you're supposed to lay down on, on your stomach and go down. Mm -hmm. I like to stand on those and challenge myself, see if I can make it all the way down the hill without falling. And it's, it's a pretty big hill, but I don't know, man, it's been a few years since I've had a chance to do it. So I, we'll see, we'll find out in a couple hours if I've, if I've lost my mojo or not. Oh yeah, now now that we've got a little girl here, I can't wait for her to get to be like you know two, and I can take her sledding when it snows. So yeah. you know, if we're if we're going every two years, by the time we get our next snow, she'll be ready to go. So that's true. Pretty exciting. Yeah. I want to remind you today's show is brought to you by Superbook. It's not just World Series futures that you can bet at Superbook right now. You can also get a futures bet on which MLB pitcher will finish the season with the most wins. Garrett Cole is the favorite at 14 to 1, with Spencer Strider just behind at 16 to 1. And if you're feeling froggy, jump, baby. Grayson Rodriguez currently pays 50 to 1. When you sign up at Superbook, use the code PRESSBOX23 and you'll receive a same day first bet match up to $250. Win or lose. So head on over to Superbook right now to get your betting fix. Orioles spring training, pitchers and catchers, they report February 14th. It's crazy to say because, one, it, does, it doesn't feel like it's been three months since the season ended. And, two, there's almost a, there's, there's a good eight to ten inches of snow on the ground outside. Uh, but, yeah, baby, we're, we're talking the Orioles coming going to spring training in about three and a half weeks. 
so sad for their significant others that it's happening on February 14th, Valentine's Day. But we love baseball, so we got to have it on the 14th. First workout, February 15th. First full squad workout scheduled for February 20th. Uh, Ryan, it's nice to have the dates. I feel like the dates came out a little bit later than usual for this coming season. Um, but Orioles baseball, right around the corner. Oh, yeah, man. We're, we're finally within a month, officially. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's exciting. Every year, you, you think about New Horizons, and it's it's a different vibe than it has been in years past. I mean, even coming into last year, we were feeling good about it, you know, having, having come off an 83-win season. But we just won the American League East. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a legitimate chance the Orioles go out and do it again. And so, you know, the start of spring training, the, I guess the, the cliche is hope springs eternal. But mm-hmm. it's, man, it, like, it, it's hard for me sometimes to switch into baseball mode when the Ravens are doing so well as they yeah. are. Yeah. Uh, but, man, to, to know that, you know, eventually the Ravens season will end. Ideally, that's with a Super Bowl championship, um, which actually would be a few days before pitchers and catchers. Three days before, so, yeah. hey, hopefully we can ride this thing and, and the Ravens close it out with a Super Bowl. And then just a couple days later, spring workouts are getting started. Yeah, it would be nice to have just no break. You go from Ravens football to Orioles baseball. Because I'll tell you, man, we don't have uh, basketball or hockey in Baltimore, you know, and I, I, I don't like the NBA. I can't, I can't get into it. I, it just, there's, there's no defense and it's just, I could go on the tangent about why I don't like the NBA. I don't like the NBA. Okay. Jordan is better than LeBron. Um, <laughs> don't like it. And the NHL, I just I can't get behind the caps. It's not that I can't get behind the caps. Like if I'm going to root for a team, I have a caps T-shirt upstairs. If if I'm going to root for a team, it's going to be the caps. I just can't get into hockey. Everybody says you've got to go to a game first, uh, and then you'll get into it. Maybe that's what the deal is. Because I've never been to a game. So you you haven't been to a game. I've never it's, been to it, a cap game. Bro, it's I'm a, telling a you, sports that I've never attended. It's it, the only one. It's right up there with baseball for me not not quite at baseball but it's it's up there in terms of fan experience um i i tried the whole caps thing it it wasn't for me um largely because of my disdain for the nationals and the commanders mm-hmm. i just i never cared for those teams and it, it'd be weird for me to root for a team in the same city i don't know right. so I, i've got my teams I, I went to a tampa bay lightning game in 2016 when i was actually at spring training for the orioles and had the time of my life and started rooting for them. Followed Dame Lillard around the NBA. I was a Blazers fan. Now I'm kind of supporting the Bucks. But I, I'm with you. NBA is is a clear number four on that list. But yeah. you got to get yourself to a hockey game. I, I, I will eventually. And my company has Caps tickets, so I'm sure we'll be able to find a way to get to a game or two, especially once I become a top producer. But we'll get into that another time. Maybe not on the air. Um, but, uh, but it'll be nice if the Ravens can go all the way to the Super Bowl. February 11th, and then three days later, the Orioles report to spring training. It, that's like the dream scenario here, at least for me, in Baltimore. Um, so you were just talking about good vibes. we got some more good vibes with the Orioles. Baseball America's top 10, uh, top 10, top 100. The Orioles would still have two players in their top 10. Um, top 100 prospects list just came out. The Orioles have six representatives in their top 100 Jackson Holiday at number one, and this officially marks the third straight season that the Orioles have had the number one prospect in all of baseball at the um, first year rankings by Baseball America. It's the first time it's ever happened in the history of their rankings, and it dates back to 1990. And uh, Bruce is about to make an appearance. Hey, and um, say hi, buddy. Um, 
but yeah, Jackson Holiday number one, following Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson. Samuel Basayo not on their list at all last year. He jumps all the way up to number 10, a guy who's 19 years old. He's probably going to spend this the majority of the season at AAA, who's just been tearing it up. I think he's down in the Dominican Winter, Winter League. I think he's been tearing it up too. Uh, Kobe Mayo, also not on the list last year. He jumps all the way up to number 31, leapfrogging Colton Kowser and Heston Kerstad. Um, he's at number uh, 34. Then Colton Kowser at 41, Kerstad at 90. At, I'm sorry. Kowser you, yeah, you're reading it a little. Yeah, ba- M- M- Mayo is 25, Kowser 34, Kerstad 41, and D.L. Hall at 93. For some reason, I wrote these rankings with the number first, and in all the rankings, the number is second. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just going to blame Bruce being on your lap for, for that yeah. one. You're good. Yeah, well, he's he's not getting as much attention because of the baby, so I figure I'll let him stay there. Mm, yeah. Um, but like I said, number th- the third straight year, they were also the number one overall prospect in baseball. Jackson Holiday, we talked last week about how Brian Kenny put him on his top 10 um, shortstops right now, although he's going to spend the majority of the year playing second base probably. Uh, Jackson Holiday, do you have expectations that he'll be on the Orioles opening day roster? I do at this point. I mean, there's no reason to believe that he shouldn't be. If, if this team is really about putting their best foot forward and, and trying their hardest to win every game, then Jackson Holiday's got to be in your lineup. He's too talented of a player. And I think when you look back at these number one prospects that the Orioles have had, Adley Rutschman in 2022, Hunter Henderson in 2023, they both came up and immediately changed the landscape. We know his impact. Gunner comes up and wins a rookie of the year. I have absolutely no reason to believe that Jackson Holiday won't also make an immediate impact. And it's exciting, man. But I, I don't want Orioles fans to take for granted how impressive it is that number one overall prospects on Baseball America's rankings. The only other team that's ever had two back-to-back was the St. Louis Cardinals, 1999. They had J.D. Drew. 2000 was Rick Ankeel. No other team has had two or more consecutive different players ranked number one overall. There have been players who have carried over year to year. Vladdy Jr., Wander Franco, uh, guys like that have been the top prospect for two consecutive years. But in terms of a different guy taking that top spot, it's special. And not only that, Paul, the Orioles in the history of Baseball America's rankings since 1990, up until 2022, had never had two top 10 prospects in the same ranking. And now they have, for three consecutive years, That's two awesome. guys in the top 10. That's so it just – and hat, hat tip to Steve Molesky on that one. I believe that was his tweet that I saw. But, man, it's it's exciting. We've got some dudes coming up consistently. and. I mean, gosh, it's it's hard not and to be it could excited be, about that. It could be four years in a row because eight of the nine players ahead of Samuel Basayo on that on that list are expected to graduate to the major leagues this year. So if Samuel Basayo goes out and he has a monster season again this year, we could be looking at the fourth consecutive number one overall prospect. Uh, your thoughts on Samuel Basayo and what he's done and how he, you know, he got a, he got, it was one of the first two guys to ever get a seven figure uh, bonus signing signing bonus for uh, for international players along with Michael Hernandez and Michael Hernandez was supposed to be the top guy out of those two. We don't even hear about him and make, meanwhile Samuel Basayo is tearing things up. He's number two catching prospect in baseball. 
Yeah, you, you never really know what these guys who are being signed at 16, mm-hmm. 17 years old. But Basayo's his rise has been meteoric, I guess is the, the, the term for it. But I'm glad you brought up the guys ahead of him because I was looking at it as well. For me, there's two guys I, th- I expect to still be on this list next year. There's Dylan Cruz and Ethan Salas. I don't think either of them graduate mm-hmm. this year personally. Obviously, that could change. I mean, Salas is at 17. I don't think he's making it to the bigs yet. But uh, Dylan Cruz could be a fast riser, but was just drafted last year. So we'll see about that one. But the rest of the guys on that list, like you said, Paul, are expected to graduate. So Basayo could be number three mm-hmm. just by default in, in that sense. Now, jumping Ethan Salas and Dylan Cruz would be a tough task. They're both very, very talented players. Salas, one of the best catching prospects we've seen in a long time. But there is absolutely a shot that if Basayo continues this upward trajectory, he is sitting in the top spot again next year for the fourth consecutive Oriole at number one. Now, there are a couple things that, that there's, I'll give you one thing that I think needs to happen for, mm-hmm. for it to happen. And then one thing that I think could hold him back from being that top spot. What I think would bode well for him is if he improves behind the plate. The only knock on Basayo's game is mm-hmm. his defense. If he can become at least average, if not a little bit above average at the catcher position, I think you're looking at a much more well-rounded prospect instead of just a guy whose bat is going to carry him. And I think that would bode well in the rankings. Now, on the flip side of that, there has been some talk from what I understand of Basayo moving to first base. Baseball America since 1990, when they started their rankings, has never ranked a first baseman number one overall. So should the Orioles move Basayo to first base to start working him over there. And then he becomes qualified as a first baseman. I think that might hold him back a little bit because the offensive profile is out of this world Mm -hmm. for a catcher. It's just, I would say pretty good for a first baseman. Very good. I'll say, I don't want to shortchange the guy, but you expect your first baseman to hit. You don't necessarily expect your catchers to hit. So if he can become a better defensive catcher, stick at that position and keep the offensive profile where it is, as opposed to sliding over to first base and decreasing a little bit of his value on the offensive side, I think there's a really good yeah, shot. Yeah, uh, no matter what happens, even if he's not the number, and it's it's a tall task for him to be that for any franchise to have three, let alone four, uh, top number number one overall prospects in baseball four years in a row. Um, it, it, he's still going to be a hell of a player. We're really looking forward to it. To have him and Adley Rutschman on a big league roster at the same time would be absolutely phenomenal. Um, so it, it's oh, yeah. it's definitely something that's going to be exciting and definitely worth keeping track of as this season progresses. Kobe Mayo, number 25 overall. Um, this is a guy who just – he went bananas last season. At the, He had 29 home runs. What was it? He had 40-plus doubles. I know that. He had 299 between two levels. The Orioles, they are very reluctant to give him up for anything right now. How much time do you think he gets at the big league level this year? Or do you think that he's going to be blocked? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. the dude mashes. You got to find a place in your lineup for a guy that mashes the way Kobe Mayo does. With that being said, I thought we were going to see a lot of Joey Ortiz last year. I thought we were going to see a good bit of Connor Norby last year. Uh, and I feel the same way about Kobe Mayo coming mm-hmm. in 2024. I think we see a lot of him. But that might not necessarily be the case. They might not have yeah. space for the guy. I mean, you know, I think they're they're considering moving him around a little bit, maybe playing a little left field, a little right. There's a maybe some talk about moving him to first base, but I think his arm is too good to be wasted over there yeah. personally. 
and he's a good enough defender at, at the corner. Look, he's a dude. We, we talk about dudes on this team. Kobe Mayo is absolutely a dude. He's a horse. And you got to be able to find a, chance, a, a spot for him. I'm not sure, just purely based on the guys that are already here, I'm not sure how much time he gets in the bigs. But when he does make it up, man, I, I'm, I'm excited to see him tackle, what do we call it, Mount Baltimore? Is that, yeah. I, I want to see him hit yeah. some tanks over that wall. So, I mean, yeah, made it up to AAA last year, hit very well. Yeah, I, I, I think we all do. It's just a matter of how you're going to make room for it. And then you look at guys like Holton Kowser at 34, Heston Kersett at 41, and the White Sox are apparently asking for one of those two uh, for Dylan Cease, and the Orioles don't want to do it. Now, everybody seems to be willing to trade Colton Kowser, and I'll put myself in that in that boat. Um, because of how I think it's because of how bad he was when he got to the major league level. I mean, he was awful at the plate. It's it's easy as a fan yeah. to sour on guys like that. So I, I know, yeah, I know and what I you're feel saying. like that's and I, I think some fans kind of feel the same way about Joey Ortiz too, because he he yeah. wasn't. I have a lot of faith in it. Joey Ortiz because I think that bat played too well at the minor league level, and I think that the glove is special, right? With with Colton Kowser, I thought he took circuitous routes in the outfield. He seemed to be lost at the plate, but I think that he was lost in the same way that Gunner was lost to start last year, where he was just kind of guessing up there. So he was trying to use his eye to get himself into a bat, and they're just you know burying the the the, the strike zone the entire bat. Next thing you know, he's out. You know, um, I, I think I think part of the problem too with with both Kowser and uh, Gunner Henderson, they're very selective mm-hmm. at the plate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, good at, at seeing the ball, drawing walks when needed. And I think a part of it was they were trying too hard to get the pitch mm-hmm. that they wanted. And the fact of the matter is, in the major leagues, you're probably not going to get the right. pitch you want in any given at-bat. You might get right. it once a game. And then you have to attack. But I, I think it was, you know, a little bit of, you know, being a little too selective, trying too hard to find their pitches. Cowser, uh, you know, had a lot of swing and miss. So it's 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 an adjustment period for sure. I still believe in Kowser. I still believe in Ortiz. But I mean, look, you got to give up somebody if you exactly. want to acquire an ace. And and Kowser might be it, that guy. Exactly. And then Heston Kerstad, I think we all want to keep him because when he makes contact, it's loud. It is loud. He has power. Like not just power, light tower power, as they say. I did the quotes, but you couldn't see them on light tower power. He's got that to <laughs> all fields. This is a guy who just absolutely hits the hell out of the baseball. And so I think every Orioles fan kind of envisions him as somebody who's going to be hitting four in their lineup for years to come. So they don't want to get rid of that guy. And like you said, you've got to trade something to get something. And if I'm trading between the two of those guys, I'm trading the guy who I saw struggle the most. And I'm not trading the guy who I think is going to hit 30 to 40 home runs every year. You know, uh, so for me, it's it's if it's one of those two, it's Kowser. I, I agree. I, I'm still the game when uh, I, I was standing in line for chicken tenders when Heston Kerstad hit his mm-hmm. first big league home run. And uh, I think we were down seven nothing at that point. It was just one. And of I those think there were being no hits. I, I just. I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They were. I was at they that were. game, too. And I remember. Yeah, I, I, I remember standing in line and, you know, hearing the crowd reaction and I could kind of see one of the TVs. And uh, I was like, I couldn't really tell who it was at first. That Gunner and Heston both kind of mm-hmm. had a little bit longer hair and I saw him rounding a base. And I was like, oh, Gunner just homered. Cool. 
And then I saw the number on the back. I was like, oh, curse mm-hmm. that homered. The first exciting thing to happen in this 7 nothing game in the sixth inning or seventh inning, whatever it was. And I'm standing here trying to get chicken tenders. <laughs> well, the, the concessions were about uh, so to close, I, man. You had to jump on your opportunity. That, yeah, but that's that's all to say. I want to see Curse that hit a yeah, home run. It, it was uh, it was a majestic shot to right center. I was I, I was there. I was watching it, and uh, it it was awesome. It sucked that that was like the Orioles' only hit and run that game, but uh, you know it was still yeah. cool to see. Uh, and then Dia Hall. At number 93, he's still somehow on this top 100 prospects list because he still has prospect status despite spending time in the major leagues each of the last two seasons. How much of this is based upon him being a starter as opposed to a reliever? Is it just his, him overall? Whether Whatever role he fills, they think that he's still good enough to be a stud. Yeah, I don't know, man. You don't see a lot of guys projected to be relievers on top, yeah. top prospect lists. And... You know, DL has come up and he's, mm-hmm. he's shown us a lot. His, his peripheral numbers are a lot better than the, his career ERA. Um, look, I, I don't know. I, I mean, he's hanging around, clearly. He's been in the 80s or 90s, it seems, for the last mm-hmm. like four years on both Pipeline and Baseball America. And that may be a little bit of an exaggeration. But, I mean, look, he's got the stuff. He's always had the stuff. It's just a matter of staying healthy. And his inability to stay healthy is why yeah. he's been on this list for so long. And Look, if they make him a starter, I think he's a top mm-hmm. 40 prospect. If he's if he's a long-term starter and he's healthy, I think he's too good to not have a top 40 or top 50 prospect kind of career, yeah. if that makes sense. <clears throat> if he's a reliever, he could be Josh Hader. And Josh Hader just got a five-year, $95 million mm-hmm. contract. He'll get paid. So, yeah. So look, there there's a spot for a guy like Hall on a top prospect list, even if his role mm-hmm. is going to be up in the air. He's just too talented. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And and look, I I'm still one of the few remaining that wants to see the Orioles make him a starter. I, I'm still one of the few remaining. And maybe that ship has long sailed, but I think he's got it. Do you think do you, I'm just I'm curious your mindset on that is do you think that's because we we went through the the cavalry and then we went through Gosman and Bundy, and now we we looked at at Grayson Rodriguez and DL Hall as that next one two punch. And all the guys before it never seemed to work out, and now we've got Grayson and you want Hall to be part of that list because that's kind of how I, I, I feel personally. I'm, I'm I don't want to give I up think on there's Hall. There's something to that because you look at at Bundy and he was supposed to be the greatest high school pitcher of all time. And then he gets to the major leagues. He debuts in 2012 after being drafted. What was it, in 2011 debuts in 2012 at the end of the season. Then he has Tommy Johnson. He doesn't get his first big league strikeout till 2016. Kevin Gossman was really, I love Kevin Gossman. They just messed with him too much up and down, up and down, up and down, like put the guy in a rotation and F and leave him there, you know? And then, yeah. you know, and then they traded him because, yeah, and then you look at um, Cody Sedlock. That's a name that, that, that you didn't mention, who's not even in the organization where he got traded to Detroit like two years ago. Um, and Hunter Harvey, who was drafted in the first round, and now he's become a reliever. And he's been a solid reliever, but when he stays healthy, he had a really nice year last year for the for the Nationals. Um, there's something to that where it's like, look, it was supposed to be Grayson and DL, and the stuff is filthy, and DL's supposed to have better stuff than Grayson. I had Ryan Ripken on this show last year when we, we were a two-and-a-half-hour show, and he said, you know, Grayson, when you faced him, you felt like you had more of a chance because you knew what was coming. You just couldn't hit it. With DL, he embarrassed you. 
you know, you would stand up there and the next thing you know, you've struck out and you have no idea what just happened because he embarrassed you. And that's what I, for me, it's a little column A, like what you just mentioned. Uh, and then it's a little column B where it's, he is so damn good. He's got four pitches that he can throw for strikes that are just nasty. And he's a left-handed pitcher on top of that. You give me that rotation with D.L. Hall performing to the best of his ability along with Grayson Rodriguez and Kyle Bradish and John Means. Oh, my God, man. It gives me chills. Like, it's it, it's, it would be nuts. I, I just – I know he's likely going to be a back-end relief to them, and he flourished in that role, especially in the playoffs this past season. But give me him as a starter. But if Tyler Wells weren't there, I'd have more confidence in it. But I think Tyler Wells is going to get that number five starter spot if the Orioles don't acquire another starting pitcher. Um, But also don't discount Dean Kramer being sent away in a trade. I'm just saying, as a guy who hit hit 13 wins last year, he's a guy who had an ERA of 358 from May 1st on. Back-to-back seasons of really solid posting up every fifth day. Uh, I think that Dean Kramer could be part of a trade if the Orioles are looking to get a big league starter in return. But um, DL Hall for me, I, I I want that dude in the in the Orioles rotation, even though I don't think it's going to happen. What I do think is going to happen is that for the playoff football, no playoff football watch party is complete without Royal Farms world famous chicken. I know I'm going to get me some Royal Farms chicken on my way to my buddy's house to watch the Ravens today. I'm going to get that eight piece mix for just twelve dollars, or if I'm feeling froggy and I want to jump, I'm going to get that ten piece dark for just fifteen dollars at my neighborhood Royal Farms. Visit your neighborhood Royal Farms for all the deals today for the Ravens playoff football game. Ryan, switching gears here a little bit. Orioles announced their 2024 international signing class. 19 players signed, uh, led by shortstop Emilio Sanchez, outfielder Steven Martinez, shortstop Elvin Garcia, shortstop Emone Noel, I think that's how you say it, uh, right-handed pitcher Yaki Mandesir, uh, outfielder Angel Garcia, and right-handed pitcher Esteban Mejia. You did a little bit of a scouting report on these guys. Um, and when I say scouting report, you read up on them a little bit. So- yeah, I... I, I cheated a little bit. ML Orioles player development tweeted a thread of, of scouting reports okay. on these guys. So I just kind of pulled from that. I, I haven't had a chance to really break down any video quite yet on, on these guys. Excited. But yeah. And who am I to not trust what Orioles player exactly. development has to say? So about let's them. start with, with Emilio Sanchez, so, who's supposed to be the top pick of the class for the Orioles. 16-year-old shortstop. With the, he's a left-handed hitter, signed for $1.3 What do you got on him? He's a left-handed hitting shortstop. Uh, the Orioles have him as a chance to be a solid everyday player, capable of plus offense. And I did note when I, uh, I you know, they showed little video clips with with these scouting reports, and we talked about Heston Kerstad and the ball sounding mm-hmm. different off the bat. Sanchez, when he makes contact, it's got a different kind of sound to it, and so that's that's something that that I got a little excited about. He's got a large frame, athletic build, lots of room to fill out, which basically means he looks like a guy who's going guy. to you know grow into yeah yeah exactly. Um, and then he's got a loose swing with good extension and bat speed. I noticed that as well. Uh, he's the top bonus getter in this this pool. Last year it was Luis Almeida who got hurt. Before that, we've seen you know Michael Hernandez, other guys who haven't really made much of an impact. And I said before, you never know with these 16, 17-year-old guys yeah. how they're going to work out. You know, Some of them are going to be in top 10 prospect lists in a few years. Others are never going to make it past low A. So it's really hard to, to make that decision. 
but you know what it's exciting that we're focused on this market now it's it, you know a few years ago we were finally getting ourselves into the market and it was exciting just to mm -hmm. have guys and now it's like it's getting to the point where it's like all right well are we getting yeah. good guys and sanchez i believe was was ranked number 30 on uh mlb pipelines you know international prospect list so the Orioles didn't go out and get any of the top you know 25 top 10 guys but they're getting a lot more depth but, and, and and guys you who know are that this player teams. development team is going to turn some of these guys into top guys you know it's just going to happen you know yeah. they did it with samuel basayo in like two years yeah for sure um all right so moving down the list steven martinez he's a 16 year old outfielder right-handed hitter he got a nine hundred and fifty thousand dollar bonus uh, the scouting report has him as an athletic right fielder with the chance to be a five-tool player, a cannon arm with proper mechanics and online carry. I did see some of his throws, and he throws darts. And he's one of the youngest players in the class. A lot of 16-year-olds, but he's on the younger end. Elvin Garcia is a switch-hitting 16-year-old outfielder. He got a $500,000 bonus. Chance to be an everyday shortstop, a good approach at the plate with solid bat-to-ball skills, and fluid and effortless in his action. I was looking at the video. I noticed a little bit of a hitch in his swing. His shoulders seem kind of tight, which could be a good thing for him because it creates an easier bat path to the ball. But he also looked mm -hmm. a little tense. So I'm wondering if that's something that could quickly be altered and maybe he'll have a little bit more fluidity in his, his swing. And ideally, that wouldn't impact you know his, his bat to ball skills. Uh, but just something I noticed when looking at the video of him. Hemon uh, Noel, he introduced himself in the video as Hemon Brown. So maybe he'll, he'll start going by that soon. Uh, another switch hitter, 16-year-old shortstop, also a $500,000 bonus. Good feel for the barrel. He can see spin. That's always good when you're 16 years old and you can identify a breaking ball or a fastball out of the hand and make adjustments accordingly. Swing goes direct to the ball. Fun to watch. Plays the game with good energy. A plus runner. Aggressive on the bases. And scouting report said, will steal some bags. So, hey, if he could become a little bit more of a hitter, um, you got a guy with, with speed already. Add a bat to that. You're looking good. Yaki Mondesir, 17-year-old right-handed pitcher. Throws hard, projected to be a flamethrower. His fastball at this point touches 94 miles an hour. But as these guys get older, they typically add a few ticks to their fastball. Chance to be a great arm in the bullpen with a strong fastball-curveball combo. Um, I was looking at his mechanics a little bit in the video. He's got some really good torque. Uh, lands hard. Follows through. Um, and the, the shoulder rotation looked like it was, I, I kind of equated it. The mechanics aren't necessarily similar, but in terms of the shoulder itself, I kind of noticed a little bit of Madison Bumgarner where it goes back smooth and it doesn't look like there's any real serious stress on that shoulder. It was a fluid motion. So I, I like that for him in terms of, you know, longevity and the curveball does have some drop to it. So there's, there's some excitement nice. there for Mondesir. Angel Garcia is a right-handed 17-year-old outfielder, potential everyday player in the big leagues, whips his bat through the zone, generates plenty of raw power, strong ability to drive the ball out to the big part of the field. Uh, don't really have anything much to add to that, but another young guy with a chance to be something. And then last but not least on our list, Esteban Mejia, another right-handed pitcher. He is 16 years old, will have power and pitch ability, throws strikes and competes, has a great mound presence, will clock 100 miles per hour with solid average pitches. Now, Paul, I don't know if that means in the future he will hit 100 miles per hour or if right now his max is mm -hmm. 100 miles per hour. If he's throwing 100 right now as a 16-year-old, 
Number one, that's terrifying <laughs> because I think he's going to hurt himself. But number two, he could be the next, he could be throwing 105 yeah. in a few years once he fills out a little bit. So it's hard to really tell. And then I noticed in the video, uh, it looked like the velocity of a fastball, but it had some good glove side mm -hmm. run to it. Almost looked like a hard cutter. So that could be a solid secondary offering for him uh, as well. So a uh, little synopsis. Thank you to Orioles player development for tweeting that out. So I had less research to do, uh, but I tried to add a few yeah, things yeah. of my own in there. But uh, yeah, man, it's it's nice to have a, an exciting international class once again, an, a market that we used to neglect for the longest time in the, the Duquette era and the McPhail era. And uh, we've got Elias now. We've got a, a brand new uh, facility in the Dominican Republic, $14 million facility that 20, was, I believe, just opened this past week. 25 million. 25 million. All right. That's higher than the original number I saw. Uh, but yeah, man, it, it's, it's exciting. These guys are going to have a, a place that's centered around the Orioles and the Orioles philosophy, iron mm. sharpens iron. And uh, these guys are going to work together. They're going to become friends and uh, it's, it's going to be awesome to see these guys start to climb through the system. We won't see any in the bigs for several years, but we might see some on, on top. Yeah. That's why it's please. hard to get excited about the international class because they're usually 16, 17 years old and you're not expecting to see them until you know, they're in their early 20s, so you're talking five, six, seven years at times. Um, but you look at guys like Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna Jr. and uh, Fernando Tatis and Vladdy, and uh, these guys are coming from the, from, from the international signing uh, slot, and the Orioles were never players in that. So to see them in there now, and now they have a guy like Samuel Basayo who they got from that international signing period, uh, who could be a big time player for them in the very near future? It's just exciting that, they, that they're they're not just dipping their toes in; they're jumping full in right now. And then they they opened that Dominican Republic Academy uh, this past Tuesday, and you saw former Orioles who weren't Orioles for long, but they were still there, like Vladimir Guerrero Sr., uh, Nelson Cruz, Hanser yeah. Alberto was there, uh, Felix Bautista was there, Jorge Mateo was supposed to be there, but he ended up not being able to make it. But it's just cool. Don't forget oh, and Ivano Jimenez. Jimenez. Apparently, he was there. I didn't see him <laughs> in the picture. But uh, it's just really cool that the Orioles have these guys who they weren't here for long, but they're down there, you know, so supporting the team and supporting the Dominican Academy. It's just something really cool. Yeah, and, it, and they're going to be good ambassadors for this team too. They're going to help these young guys along the way. I would imagine some of them will be involved mm -hmm. in some capacity. And I'm not expecting Vladimir Guerrero Sr. to take a job as a player development guy in the right. Dominican Summer League. But with that said, I think there are guys who are going to be, you know, available for advice, you know, pick my brain, all that, all that fun stuff. So, yeah, man, it's it's cool to have a lot of excitement built around this international class, because it seems like five years ago when we were looking at the Juan Soto's and the Ronald Acuna's, it was like, why don't we have any of mm -hmm. these guys? Why, why, why have we ignored this market that's generating these electrifying, ungodly talented players? And. We had like I think our big international side like we we got Wee and Chen from Taiwan. Jonathan Scope, great. We had Jonathan Scope from the Netherlands. Yeah. So look, er, Curacao. Uh, but yeah, man, like it's it's good that we are have our, our toes in this firmly now. Um, I still wish we would make more of a run at some of these guys coming over yeah. from Japan. Uh, we we see people. Oh, I'm glad I, I brought that up because one thing I didn't mention earlier uh, when we were talking about Samuel Basayo. If uh, Roki Sasaki gets posted next offseason, I think he's without a doubt the number one prospect on baseball America's rankings. 
I don't he think international an players unbelievable pitcher. Only if they are there, there's some new qualification where it's international professionals. But I saw a blurb when I was looking at, at something after they released this prospect list that if he posts next year, he will be eligible oh, okay. for the prospect list. So he's a guy who could keep Basayo from that number one spot. But you know, I I just wanted to say that you know I wish the Orioles would you know try a little harder in that market too because these guys come over and they're insanely talented as well. Uh, but I guess maybe philosophically we still don't um, participate. Philosophically, we have a butthead owner who just doesn't want to spend money. <laughs> so, like, I don't pull punches with him on this show because F. John Angelos, I hate him. Uh, I think he, I think he's the I worst mean, yeah. owner, maybe in professional sports at this point, now that Dan Snyder is gone. Uh, and he's not even the owner. He's a I don't know. David, David Tepper he seems does. like a piece of work. He does. The Carolina Panthers. But, I mean, look, we've we've dealt with, with the Angelos family for I mean my entire life it's yeah I, I want them dude I want and, them and the thing forever. the thing is man Please. Peter Angelos you know you can say what you want about John Miller and Davey Johnson and how you know he let the Orioles lose for 14 years the dude spent money you know he, he made Palmero and Cal Ripken two of the highest paid I think Cal at one point was the highest paid player in baseball Palmero was like number two behind him. The Orioles had a top five payroll, including number one, a couple of times from 1996 through 1999. Um, actually, I think through 2000. He went out and he signed, like I said, I think I said he signed Albert Bell, gave Scott Erickson big money, gave Adam Jones, Chris Davis, Nick Markakis, Brian Roberts big money. He, he signed Tejada. He signed Palmero again. He signed Javi Lopez. And th those three were big signings in 2000, heading into 2004. The guy spent money. John Angelos just wants to collect money and stuff it into his own pockets and worry about getting it. When, when winning baseball games is third on your list of priorities as an owner, there's an issue there. There's an absolute issue there. And like the fact that the Orioles with the lowest payroll in baseball and the second most wins in baseball weren't even rumored to be in on Yamamoto or Josh Hader, which both of those guys would have filled huge needs for this team. It's just mind blowing to me that, you know, more people aren't jumping down this dude's throat right now about this. He's a joke. He's yeah. a travesty. I like, I get so heated about it because you have, one of the best young teams in baseball, and you're doing jack shit to make this team a World Series contender. I can't stand it. Yeah, and you can say a lot of things about Peter Angelos. I don't think you can yeah. say he was cheap. He, Like you said, he did spend money. A lot you could say about the guy, but, I mean, the, the whole notion that he was cheap, I think, was was mm -hmm. fabricated a bit. John yeah. Angelos is He's cheap. cheap. He, he, he doesn't care. He simply doesn't care. He, he didn't sign up to be the owner of a major mm -hmm. league baseball team. He was he was given that opportunity because his father Correct. couldn't do it anymore, and you know family drama whatever. But gosh, yeah, I, I, I leave go to Nashville, live your life out there. I, I don't I don't want to see or hear from John Andrews. Dude, and it started with Martin, Martin Luther King Day last year. Just, just talking joke. about how he wants like I'll open the books for you, but we're not going to talk about this on, on today of all days. Get the hell out of here! Shut the hell up! Yeah. Have some perspective, Dan Connolly. This is MLK Day. I called a press conference to talk about the community. I'm only the owner of the Orioles, and I haven't spoken to the media about the Orioles yep. in two years. But not today, Dan. Not today when I've brought all of you in front of me whose jobs it is to report about the Orioles. Nope, not today. Not on MLK Day. And Give then me the Kevin break. Brown situation, and then trying to steal the thunder of the Orioles clinching by saying, oh, we agreed to a lease, and then 
three and a half months later, it still hasn't happened. It finally did happen three months later. It finally did happen. But but that's got a caveat to it, too, where it's 15 years instead of 30. You know, if the Orioles don't get the the, the development rights for around the stadium, it, it's just joke after joke after joke. And it's like as good as this team can be, you don't have confidence that they're going to stay there uh, beyond you don't have confidence that Gunner's going to be here, Jackson's going to be here, Rutschman's going to be here five years from now because you don't think your owner's going to pay. Please, for the love of God, sell the team to Rubenstein or somebody who's anybody, somebody who's anybody else. put time and money into this team instead of a guy. Sell it to me. I'll go, I'll go into serious debt that my great-great-great-great-grandchildren won't yeah. be able to pay off. Give, yeah. give me yeah. a team. Just give them, to I don't, give them to me. Give them to me. We could – yeah, we could, Paul. We could, t- we could turn every single show into a screw John Angelos I, kind of show. I think that's both of our opinions of that. I just guy. love that somebody else will get it's, on the, get on this platform with me and get heated like I will about John Angelos and just go on a tangent. Because God, there, I don't hate many people. I I can strongly dislike people. I don't hate many people. I hate John Angelos. I hate him. He's a bitch. I hate John Angelos. Like, <laughs> it's. I think. It's because he's in charge of something that we care yeah. so deeply then, about. That's what it is. That's why that level goes from dislike to hate. It's because he is the one who is running the show on something that we spend eight months out of the year, 12 if we're doing a, a year-round mm-hmm. show about the team. But you know, seven to eight months of a year with scheduling our lives around this team, and he's the guy in charge, and he's doing a terrible job of it. That's why that level goes from dislike to genuine, genuine hatred. hatred. And then, God, the guy's got hundreds of millions of dollars, and he shows up to spring training last year wearing a Target ball outfit, looking like a little chode <laughs> out there. Uh, like, like it's in, your owner – you see most owners show up in a nice button down and a blazer and nice pants with expensive shoes. He shows up in some ASICs with some cargo pant khakis and a, a target ball button down that's unbuttoned and it's wrinkled. Just just standing there looking like an idiot. That's our owner that people see on a national scale. That's our owner. Get out of here. At least he doesn't have Mark Davis's haircut. That's, he that's have the one the thing I'll give John Angelo. I'm not one to talk. I've got a receding hairline. I'm, I'm certainly not one to talk, but I mean, his hairline's like back, back, yeah, back to you know my headphones are. He doesn't have the hair for it. Yeah. You know, if it's not one thing, it's another. Maybe he'll get himself some hair plugs and start looking like, like Joe Buck or something. I don't know. But you know, Joe Buck lost his voice for six months after getting hair plugs. Did you know that? Yeah, he got really. He was on Conan O'Brien like like a decade ago, and he talked about how he got hair plugs. And maybe it wasn't six months, maybe it was three months <laughs> or three weeks. But he said the side effect from getting hair plugs, he lost his voice, and he was like nervous he was never going to come back. So Joe Buck hair plugs. Wow. Anyway, off on a tangent here. Uh, yeah, that way. Yeah. If you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call one eight hundred Gambler or visit HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services today. Um, Ryan, before we talk a little, before we talk a little bit of Ravens here, uh, you mentioned the Astros signed Josh Hader five years, ninety-five million dollars. John Heyman has come out, and he's not the only source I've seen say this, but he's the most prominent one who said that the he thinks the White Sox are likely to hold on to Dylan Cease until the trade deadline. First, your thoughts on Hader signing with the Astros, and then your thoughts on potentially the White Sox holding on to Dylan Cease since nobody seems to want to meet their asking price. Yeah, I mean, 
look, Hader was the best reliever on the market. He was always going to get the most money. And the Orioles weren't going to be involved in the bidding process. That's it's it's as simple as that. It would have been awesome to have Hader come in and replace Felix Bautista, but now the Astros have a dominant seventh, eighth, ninth inning. They're they're playing six inning games now with the offense and the rotation that they have. I think it makes the Astros that much scarier. Um, but with that being said, I do think that, and we we've talked about it before, and it, you're not going to replace Felix Bautista unless you go out and right. sign a Josh Hader. But with the return of Dylan Tate and the addition of Craig Kimbrell, it helps a little bit, at least to take the pressure off the back end of that bullpen. But we've also talked a lot about D.L. Hall. Maybe D.L. Hall is the next Josh Hader. Maybe he's closing games by my midseason. Maybe. Never know. Uh, and regarding Dylan Cease, look, I, I, I don't, I can't say I blame the White Sox for having that mindset. We've seen time and time again the market for pitching at the trade deadline is typically way better than it is in the offseason simply because teams know exactly what they need at that point in the season they know when they need to make moves to get to that next step whether it's to push for a, a division title or a playoff berth or whatever it may be i you know i, I hate it as an orioles fan who wants dylan cease on his team mm -hmm. on opening day but I get it from the White Sox perspective. They have an asking price. They have stood firm on it. They have not gotten what they want. Maybe when teams are a little more desperate in the middle of the season, they can get the guys that they want in return. So I, I don't like it, but I, I completely get it. From yeah, the White Sox I, I get it too. I just, you know, come on, man. Just maybe just, just give them to us. Yeah. You know, can, let me have yeah, it. Give him, give him, why do you need him? You don't need him. You're going to win like 60 games. You're good. Just give him to us. Give us Dylan C. Just yeah. give, give him to us. <laughs> give it to me. What, what's that? Uh, yeah, yeah. What's that? Um, I think you should leave. The the professor at um, dinner. I don't know that one. You, I'm talking about no? uh, uh, what's it Um, from the office when Dwight is trying to get Michael to give him control of the office while he's trying to make this decision about um, who gets raises and whatnot. Whatnot. And Dwight says, I deserve this power. He said, give it to me. Give it to me, Michael. Give it to me. Uh, right, right, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was I was thinking of I think you should leave. Is a scene where they, they're like meeting with an old professor having dinner and the professor likes what's on the other guy's plate. And he's like, you know, I should have gotten that. He's like, let me let me have a bite. Let me have a bite. And then he's just like, give me that. I, I think you give should me that. leave. What movie is that? Who's in that? It's a, the uh, Netflix series, Tim Robinson, the sketch comedy oh, show. Oh, I haven't. 55 burgers, 55 fries, oh, 55 yeah, yeah. shakes. I, have, I haven't watched that yet. Yeah. I haven't watched that yet. I, I'm watching Louder Milk right now on Netflix. Uh, well, you got you got to start watching I Think You Should Leave so you can relate to Adley Rutschman a little more because he quotes that I'm gonna show all the time. I'm going to have to check it time. out. If I know Adley's watching, I like Adley's sense of humor. Because... <laughs> Dude, the, the, MLB posted a video of him. like It was like a compilation of him mm. in the weight room. And he was just quoting that show That's the so entire funny, time. That's, like, it was great. Adley's sense of humor. He was he when he when they were celebrating clinching the playoffs and like that he was talking I think to maybe Kevin Brown, and he was doing the Paul Rudd like, do you believe we're here? I don't look at this now type of thing, and I don't <laughs> think and and who would have thought Kevin did not get what he was doing, <laughs> so it just looked it just looked like Adley was just just being like this weird guy, and it was so funny because I've 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 done so many jokes where people have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. And I just related to him so much in that moment. It made me just have that much more 
more oh, yeah. love in my heart for him. So I'm upset that I missed that. I, I can't believe I didn't see it. I, were you were you at that game? No, I went the night before. I went the night before my best oh, okay. friend Adam, so you- who I'm watching the Ravens game with today. And uh, we watched them. We watched Grayson dominate and we watched the Orioles win, but Tampa Bay won that night too. So the Orioles didn't um, didn't clinch. And then they clinched the next day, of course. Right. So you were you were able to to watch the the post game yeah. locker room celebration and see all the videos on Twitter and all that. I was I was trying to play catch up when I got home, but I, you can only you only catch up on so much. So I must have missed. Yeah, that. I don't I think it was posted. That part was actually on television. Like I saw that on 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 TV. Okay. But um, want to remind you today's uh, show brought to you by Goose Flights. Press Box urges you to drink a beer or two in honor of Tony Sarah Goose, and we we partnered with Guilford Hall Brewery. To release Goose Goose Flights, a delicious lager to honor Tony's legacy and how his family is continuing to celebrate him with Goose Flights Foundation. The Goose Flight Foundation is now run by Tony's kids and provides non-emergency medical transport to those in need. You can buy six packs and single cans of Goose Flights at Guilford Hall Brewery and Costas Inn, with single cans also available at the Glory Days Grill locations in Maryland. Raise a glass to Tony and support this great foundation. So go over to pressboxonline.com slash gooseflights to learn about more. All right, Ravens, Texans, 430 today. A lot of Texans fans coming out of the woodwork, Ryan, saying that now that Mark Andrews isn't playing and the way Derek Stingley played last – is that his name, Derek Stingley? Yeah, the Derek way that Stingley he played Jr. last week, that he's going to cover Zay Flowers and take him out of the game, that the Ravens don't have any other options now, that they're going to be good. Um, OBJ and Rashad Bateman and Isaiah Likely and Nelson Aguilar exist in the world today. And I know that none of those guys put up huge numbers. Likely was one of the best tight ends in football down the stretch. Uh, I think he scored five touchdowns the last four games. Um, Those dudes are like legitimate playmakers. And we've seen it from OBJ at different points this year. We've seen Bateman be a a solid possession receiver. Your thoughts on today's game. Do the Texans have the right to be beating their chest and walking proud? And do you think that there's a chance that the Ravens don't win today? Yeah, I think there's a chance. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I also think that the Texans have every right to come in beating their chest. And that's that's not to say anything negative about the Ravens. You have to have that mindset in the postseason, especially mm-hmm. when you're the underdog. You have to come in thinking – we are the team to beat, not you guys. It's us. You guys had the challenge today. If you don't have that mindset, you're not going to win a playoff game. So they absolutely have every right to feel that way. However, Texans fans seem to think that if they take Zay Flowers out of the mm-hmm. game, it's over. Have you seen this offense work collectively over the last couple months? It's unbelievable. You can take Zay Flowers out, and and the team's going to be just fine. I'm actually trying to pull up here because I know there was a game when Zay Flowers, Jacksonville, Ravens blew out the Jags. Zay Flowers had uh, one catch for seven yards. Orioles, or sorry, the Ravens mm-hmm. won that game. You can take Zay Flowers out. They've got other guys. And look, the Texans are a very good team. They're coming in on an incredible hot streak. They just won a playoff game against what was one of the best defenses in NFL history. Now they're coming out against another one of the best defenses in NFL history in the Ravens. By the way, a lot of talk about the Browns having a an historically great defense this year. Meanwhile, the Ravens in the same division, who are the number one seed, got the defensive mm-hmm. triple crown. Most sacks, fewest points per game allowed, and fewest no, it, yards mo- most allowed sacks, per game. Yeah, uh, most turnovers, turnovers, most sacks, fewest points allowed. 
But also the Browns yeah. had the um the Browns had the number one like, I think the number one defense at home and number 32 ranked defense on the road. Yeah, right, 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 right. So look, CJ Stroud's a hell of a quarterback. They have a really good team around him. He he's shown that he can be a playmaker. They've won, I think, seven of their last eight overall or something like that. The Texans are a good team. This is not going to be an easy mm-hmm. game for the Ravens. With that said, I think the Ravens win by double yeah, digits. I, I, I think the Ravens. I really do. I think this Ravens team is different. I think Lamar, it, Lamar has one singular focus, and that is winning a Super Bowl. And that's apparent in every single interview this guy has done. It's I don't I don't care that we just beat the Dolphins by thirty-seven points. I don't care that I'm the MVP front runner. I want this team to win a Super Bowl. That is mm-hmm. all he cares about, and I think he's going to get. And I think that, that he's direction. got the personalities to match that on defense now too, with Roquan and Kyle Hamilton. Those guys are—they're all pro players. One and two, they know what's in front of them, and they—they've got that pride. They're like, "Oh, you think that you're going to come in here and you beat us in our house when we're the number one seed and the number one defense? That ain't happening." By the way, Zay Flowers has the same birthday as Ed Reed, so he was born for greatness. September 11th, September 11th, 2000. Um, but look, that we're all we all feel that PTSD. We feel like the Ravens are stake business, especially especially when they play on Saturdays. They're three and seven all time on, in Saturday playoff games, thirteen and five in Sunday playoff games. Number one overall seed. They got that first round by in 2019, and they laid an egg. But they laid an egg in that game against the Titans because their receivers dropped seven passes, including on that first drive. When the Ravens are marching down the field and the ball goes off Mark Andrews' hands and gets intercepted, the Ravens score a touchdown on that drive. I think that game ends differently. I really do. And if you watch Seth Roberts with nobody within 15 yards of him, it would have been a 63-yard touchdown. Literally, the ball comes and hits him in his bread basket and goes right through his hands and hits the turf. Uh, like, it's the, I mean, when you're when your wide receiver two is yeah. Seth Roberts, what do you exactly? Expect? You've yeah. got you've got legitimately. All four of your wide receivers are first-round wide receivers right now. And your running game, you've got Dalvin Cook, who we think is going to be energized. And look, that offensive line in New York was terrible. You're not going to tell me that Dalvin Cook rushed for 1,100-plus yards four years in a row, and then all of a sudden he can't play football anymore. You're not going to tell me that Brees Hall had a down year just after one season can't play football anymore. I think Dalvin Cook is going to be a huge shot of energy to the Ravens today. And, you know, it sucks that Mark Andrews isn't playing because he's Mark Andrews. But if he can get that one extra week to be healthy, the Ravens can win the game. I mean, they have him in the AFC championship game. Look out. Look out. Like, I have a lot more. And and it's crazy, because in 2019, I was so confident about this team and thinking 14-2, and they've won 12 straight games. They've been running roughshod over everybody. They've been blowing everybody out. Lamar's the MVP. They're going to the Super Bowl. And then they lay an egg in the divisional round. I don't think that's going to happen today. I don't think that they're going to blow the doors off the Texans. I don't think it's going to be 56 to 19 like it was against the Dolphins. But I think that like everybody, like everybody's like, oh, we got to play the Texans. We got to play CJ Stroud. The Texans have to play the Ravens. They have to play the MVP and the number yeah. one defense in football. Like, like let's not that and that's that, that's that's a, a point that that I've been trying to make all season is look. We, we had this stretch that, we, we you know, we called it a gauntlet for the Ravens where they had to go face Jacksonville, San Francisco, mm-hmm. and Miami in consecutive weeks. And 
it was like, all right, this is going to be a tough stretch for the Baltimore Ravens. They're playing against three teams that are currently leading their divisions. Two of them in the Dolphins and the, the Niners have a case for the best team in football. Like this is, it's not going to be easy. The Ravens might lose one or two of these games. People forget, Paul, those teams are looking at the Ravens on the schedule and saying, oh, shoot, we have yeah. to play them. It's a, it's a two-way street. So, look, and, and the Ravens swept those, those three games. So, look, the, te- the Texans are a very good team. I think they're coming into what's going to be a very hostile environment. Ravens fans are loud, especially in the playoffs. I think it's going to be tough on the Texans to uh, really find their groove. It wouldn't surprise me if they have a couple stretches where they, you know, put some points on the board, but give me Ravens 27, 27 to 16. All right. I think the Ravens are going to come out juiced up. That, that, that stadium is going to be loud. If they go on defense first and they get a three and out, that's that place is going to go nuts. I'm going to say Ravens are going to win this game. Give me 41-21 Ravens. No, no. You know what? You know what? No, okay. because there's going to be times when the, when the Texans get in the red zone, the Ravens aren't going to blink. Give me 41-24. 41-23. Ravens, because the, the Texans are going to kick, just score two touchdowns and kick three field goals. Give me 41-23 Ravens. Okay. Lamar. He's already put a stamp on the MVP, but he's going to remind everybody who the hell he is. Who was that That guy who looked like a – somebody posted they were so accurate. This guy looks like he's a, a, a children's party magician. Who was that guy? What's that? Nick Wright. Nick Wright. Um, saying, I trust – He said – He said – More than Lamar Jackson. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. Get out of here, dude. That, that dude just consistently has awful takes. All he cares about is engagement. Look, the, the the one concern that I have, and Paul, you talk about how big of a momentum shift it would be if the Ravens come out on defense mm-hmm. and force a three and out. What happened in Dallas? Yeah. The Packers win the coin toss. They elect to receive. Matt LaFleur makes that call. We're going to receive the ball. And then they drive down the field and score a touchdown right yep. in Dallas's faces. That is a momentum mm-hmm. swing as well. So if I think the Texans have a shot if they score on their first possession and yeah. the Ravens do not. Because then it's, as we saw with Dallas, backs against the wall in a winner-go-home game, prone to mistakes at that point. Dak threw a, at least one pick six, might have been two, but at least a couple interceptions, and was playing from behind all game. So the Texans, if they want to have a chance to take down the Ravens today, I think need to score yeah. early. And look, often. the Ravens, the only game they didn't lead at the two-minute warning in the fourth quarter was their fourth preseason game, uh, Week 18 against the Steelers. Like that was the only game all year that they had lead at the two-minute warning. They were, you know, if they needed to win that game, they would have blown the doors off the Steelers. I was I was pulling for the Steelers again, not pulling for them, but I wanted them to win because I wanted to see the Ravens put up another 56 spot this week and just beat oh, yeah. them like 56 to, to six. It would have been awesome, but it just wasn't in the cards. But, yeah, I think the Ravens have something for the Texans today. I am confident that the Ravens are going to, the, at the very least, going to the Super Bowl this season uh just want to remind everybody today's show is brought to you by project game day we're talking about the ravens project game day returns later today you can join glenn clark rita hubbard and femi i am right here on these same press box pages for project game day following ravens titans project game day is brought to you by superbook sports aj michaels and help my gambling problem.org 
Ryan, thanks for another great show. Thank you to all of our sponsors. Without you, we don't have a show. Thank you to all of our listeners. Without you, we certainly don't have a show. Go Orioles. Go Ravens. Until next week, hopefully we'll be talking about a Ravens victory and maybe an Orioles signing or trade. Who the hell knows? Until then, see ya.